This is Teachable Moments with April podcast, and you guessed it, I'm your host, April. If you're a returning listener and a part of the Teachable Moments with April podcast family, welcome back. For those who are checking me out for the first time, well, hello and welcome. To everyone listening, be encouraged and look for the Teachable Moments that are all around us. Enjoy. for a husband and wife together. Abba, Father, we come before you and open our lives and our hearts and our union to your love. Come and move in our minds, bringing hope and vision for our lives together. Move within our emotions to smooth away the tensions and disappointments we feel. Lord, please renew our strength and restore our energy with peaceful rest tonight and gentle dreams and with the intimacy of our friendship and our love. Through your Son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. This is a prayer for couples to pray together for their marriage, and it is suitable for praying before you retire for the evening and go to sleep. The following episode is pre-recorded. Malachi 2.15 Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. The joy of a happy marriage blessed with loving, respectful children who easily transition from childhood into responsible adults is a dream of most men and women. Found in almost every nation and culture, this desire seems to be hardwired into our minds and genetic makeup. Traditionally, marriage has been an exclusive bond between a man and a woman that includes that most intimate of acts, the sexual union. Yet in recent years, this pattern has been changing. Some are choosing to have children apart from marriage and others are opting for same-sex relationships. Nevertheless, it seems everyone wants the joy and blessings of a family. Even many of those who deviate from tradition will want their relationships to be called marriages and their social units, families. Homosexual couples unable to reproduce struggle to adopt children or make other arrangements so that they too can have progeny. Now, isn't it ironic that the social experimenters want the terminology and fruits of traditional marriage, but don't want to follow the traditional recipe? Hmm. Why is it that we, as human beings, are so attracted to the terms marriage and family? So the next question is, marriage, will it survive? Looking at the state of marriage today leaves no doubt that the institution seems to be under serious attack. Now, in Western nations, including the United States, Canada, and Europe, close to half of all first-time marriages end in divorce. People who willingly say, I do, increasingly end up changing their words to, I won't anymore. Hmm. 
Now, based on the failure rate of today's marriages, some、uh, sociologists have predicted that marriage will soon become obsolete. But despite the high odds against a happy, lifelong relationship, couples still get married and still hope to spend a lifetime together.、Hmm. So why do we continue to pursue this ideal? And where does God fit in the picture? Where does He fit in? Did we have anything to do with the institution of marriage? And did He? Okay. And if so. Did he give us any instructions? These are valid questions, right? If so, did he give us the instructions? When, when all else fails, maybe we should maybe read the the instructions and the directions. Makes sense, right? Of course, the problems encountered in marriages are not limited to just husbands and wives when children are involved, for when they enter the mix, hmm. They also experience the consequences of their parents' relationship, whether sound and strong, or troubled and broken. Where can you find answers? So, what are the keys to a happy, successful marriage and family? Recognizing the unique value marriages provide for individuals and communities alike, many churches now offer, or in some cases require, premarital counseling for couples before performing their marriages. Some couples are choosing a new type of marriage called covenant marriage, a relationship more difficult to end, in an effort to divorce-proof their marriages. Now, many organizations and programs have been established to strengthen marriages and families. Marriage retreats, seminars, enrichment programs, and parenting classes abound. And counselors specialize in helping couples repair broken relationships and in helping parents work with their children. But the results are limited and not overly encouraging. And marriages still end in divorce. And the crisis in child rearing continues. What can we offer in this sea of knowledge that can help you experience a better marriage and contented, respectful, responsible children who will be successful in school and life? The answer is a clear understanding of God's purpose for marriage and family. The primary reasons people experience problems in these areas, and practical things you can do to strengthen your marriage and your family. Join us as we explore the path God reveals and steps you can take to enjoy the universal dream of a happy, successful marriage and family. Episode of Marriage and Relationships is courtesy of United Church of God. Marriage and family: the spiritual significance. We look at the book of John, one, verse twelve. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The hope for a happy, fulfilling marriage to the person we most deeply love is one of the most entrenched desires of men and women. 
happily sharing our hopes, our dreams, fortune, and the breadth of life's experiences in all the most intimate ways is one of the most fulfilling endeavors of all. A good marriage further blessed with happy, respectful, successful children provide the same kind of grandchildren is the crowning touch of a good life. And what a life this is. And what a life this is. What success. If possible, we'd all love to have this story be our story. This idealistic picture is a universal dream, right? Everyone wants the results, but not everyone wants to live the life that produces them. Now, from the beginning, God revealed that marriage was a special union between a man and woman because, to put it bluntly, that was the way to have children. Sexual intercourse between a male and a female united in marriage produced children within that family. Yet the benefits of traditional marriage extend beyond reproduction. Now, studies continue to show that men and women generally live longer and happier lives when they are married to someone of the opposite sex. In these traditional unions, children likewise generally go up more socially uh, adept and financially successful than children who grow up in alternate arrangements. Now, there is definitely a strong social case to be made for traditional monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. Now, through the pages of, 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 of this publication that we're going to be reading, we will also see that there is an incontrovertible biblical case for traditional unions. Experience has shown time and again that these biblical guidelines for relationships and parenting are the ones that work best. Are there any rules? That's the first question. But before we get to these biblical instructions, we must acknowledge that many people aren't sure whether God really exists or whether his instructions are relevant today. Some believe that human beings came into existence by evolutionary forces, following blind natural selection and the survival of the fittest. This theory postulates that people are simply higher-level animals and that there are no spiritual laws to guide human conduct, no requirement that sexual relations be solely within the constraints of marriage. Now, experimenting from this perspective or because they simply didn't want to follow the biblical instructions, men and women through the ages have tried many, many different sexual relationships, including premarital sex, adultery, polygamy, one man with multiple wives, one woman with multiple husbands, homosexuality, and group marriages. Now today, premarital sex, adultery, and homosexual relationships have all gained greater acceptance. I think we'll agree on that, right? Challenging and undermining traditional marriage. The assumption among many, including governments and judges and legislation, accepting an acceptance of all views and people regardless of their practices and lifestyles, is that all choices are equal. Hmm. So people can do whatever they want. Now, sadly, this approach is presumed to be morally superior to all others. So the next question is, where 
we designed for marriage and family? I think that's a very good question. Yet with all the sexual experimentation amongst almost everyone wants the same good life, including children. It seems as though people were all psychologically wired to desire marriage and family. So I'm going to pause here and let's let's just kind of let this sink in like seasoning. Huh. Let me read it again. Yet with all the sexual experimentation, almost everyone, almost everyone wants the same good life that includes children. It seems as though people were all psychologically wired to desire marriage and family. But why are we like this? Now, of course, there are exceptions, right? Let's think about this. Is it possible, this, this, let's keep an open mind, is it possible that we were designed this way from the beginning by an actual creator? What would have happened to the human race had men and women not been created with a desire for sexual activity that will ensure procreation? A longing for intimacy both emotionally and physically with another person and a desire for offsprings. Was it pure chance that things worked out this way? Hmm. Are we simply lucky? For those who have eyes to see, okay, these inborn traits are simply, okay, additional indicators among many that all point to the inescapable fact that humanity was designed and crafted by God. Now, the Bible explains that we were made in God's own image, Genesis 1.27, meaning in our general appearance as well as with minds to think. An important principle is also revealed here that is continued in marriage and family, that human life is patterned after spiritual non-physical unseen realities just as human beings were made in the image of God marriage and family are patterned after spiritual concepts hmm. the next thing we're going to look at is God the designer the creator of marriage and family now to understand the spiritual significance of marriage and family we must turn to God our creator the creator to learn what he had in mind in making the human race while we could go on and go to the first book of the Bible which is of course Genesis to learn about marriage and how God created the first human beings something we will cover okay and later on we must go to other section of God's sections of God's word to learn why he created us as we are. When we turn to these passages in the Bible, we learn of a plan that God had not only for Adam and Eve, the first people, the first human beings, but for all of humanity, every person who has lived or will yet live. We also find that human marriage and family reflect this plan, which was determined before the foundation of the world as we know it. Now, shortly after Jesus Christ came to earth and lived as God in the flesh, one of his followers, John, wrote a book to prove to his contemporaries and humanity today that Jesus was indeed who he was. 
In this work, John says of Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And this reference is at John uh, chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. The phrase children of God tells us that God is creating his own family. Additionally, passages reveal this same astounding truth. And it is quite astounding. Now in Hebrews 2.10, we find that Jesus was and continues to be involved in God's plan and purpose of bringing many sons. Let me say it again, many sons to glory. Now Paul, another first century writer of the New Testament of the Bible, noted that human beings are the offspring of God, found in Acts 17 verses 28 and 29. Paul also wrote of the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15. God designed us to be part of his family. Paul also encouraged God's people at Corinth with his specific promise. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Just as human families have children born to them who are part of their families, God initially created Adam and Eve and their progeny, all of us, to become part of His family. Physical families are thus a type of God's own spiritual family. Hmm. Now continuing this theme, Revelation 21.7 adds, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now these scriptures and others tell us that God's plan from the beginning was to create, first create, people as temporary flesh and blood beings subject to death and then give us the opportunity to live forever as spirit beings in his eternal family. If we will respond to God in love and obedience, God offers us this, still offers us this great promise. Hmm. Now God eventually is going to make this offer to become part of his family to every human being. Explaining God's love for all his children, another follower, Peter, wrote this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We find this at 2 Peter 3, 9. God doesn't want anyone to lose out on this opportunity of a lifetime, and it's literally a lifetime, the opportunity for an eternal lifetime. Now, this is God's overall transcendent purpose for creating humanity. Makes sense, right? To offer us the opportunity to become part of His, His eternal family, His own children. If we will repent and be baptized, we can receive, 
we can receive this marvelous and miraculous gift. When baptized, we receive God's Holy Spirit, Acts uh, 2, uh, 38, something that sets us apart as his children. Paul, in Romans 8, 14, explains that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Becoming Children of the Father Now God's great purpose of producing literal sons and daughters in His family has been in effect since before the foundation of the world. God is reproducing Himself, creating children who will possess His holy and righteous character and in time share eternal life with Him as spirit beings with His divine nature. Now, of course, when we respond to God's command to repent and be baptized, we still live as physical human beings, not yet changed into the Spirit. To reassure newly baptized Christians, Paul likened this process of becoming children of God to the manner in the Roman world of this day, of his day, by which one came to receive all the rights and privileges as a son and heir within a family. Now in verse 15, Paul continues, The spirit you have received is not a spirit of slavery, leading you back into a life of fear, but a spirit that makes us sons, enabling us to cry, Abba, Father. In addition to the promise of becoming God's sons, this verse shows that our relationship to God becomes so close and personal that we refer to him as daddy, father, which is the meaning of Abba, father. Now, Paul goes on to explain in verse 17 that since we are his children, we will share his treasures for everything God gives to his son, Christ, is ours too. Now, in the Roman world of Paul's day, a father would declare his son to be fully his son and heir when the son reached a certain age of maturity and young adulthood. Before that declaration, the son was held in a very mm, inferior position to his father. But when this coming of age was declared, the son would be legally invested with all the rights, powers, and privileges of a son and heir of his father. Now Paul refers to this process in Romans 8 and Galatians 4 where he uses very similar language to make the same point. The process wasn't complete, okay, until the son reached this coming of age and received full, full rights and privileges. Now counting this theme and continuing this theme, Paul wrote in verse 23, and even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now, Paul explains that our status now is like that of children we who haven't reached that point of having all the full rights of sonship, if you will. Yet, though we will attain the status in the resurrection to immortality and Christ's return, found in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Now, God's inspiration of Paul to use this analogy underscores the reality and absolute guarantee God makes that we can indeed become his children 
ultimately living forever in his family. Now, God's promise of full rights of sonship will be bestowed at the resurrection or change from mortality to immortality, at which time we'll be be invested with all the powers and privileges of a divine son or divine daughter. Now, echoing these same thoughts, John writes in 1 John 3, uh, verses 1 through 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we will know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for he shall be he shall see him as he is. Okay? Let me say that again. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. The astounding truth revealed in this verse is that we, like Christ, will have life eternal in an imaginable power and glory. To get a glimpse of what our glorified appearance will be, read Revelation uh, 1, verses 12 through 16, where Christ's glorified appearance is described. Wow. Simply put, God's plan for humanity is a family plan. Now, what about marriage? Let's get back to marriage. The spiritual implication of marriage. Similar to the way a human family reflects uh, God's plan to have a family, human marriage also reflects a spiritual relationship. Human marriage is modeled after the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Okay, notice how Paul explains this particular concept. After discussing the responsibilities of husbands and wives and the relationship between them, Paul says this, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love this, his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 5 verses 32 and 33. What a beautiful example the relationship between Christ and and the church is, isn't it? Paul explains that Christ loved the church so much that he gave his life for her, found at verse 25. Now, how how could those of us in the church ever doubt his love for us? How could we not respond to the things he asks of us to do? Hmm. The understanding that marriage between a man and a woman is a type of The relationship between Christ and the church is further understood by a vision that Jesus Christ revealed to John at the end of the first century. Now, John recorded this vision in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. After Jesus returns to take over the kingdoms of this earth and establish the kingdom of God, he reveals that he is going to be involved in a very special marriage. Here is how John recorded that vision. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelations 19 verses 7 through 9. The faithful saints who have been part of the church 
founded by Jesus Christ will become the bride of Christ. Their righteous behavior is likened to fine, costly linen. A happy human marriage gives us insight into a greater marriage, one that will truly last forever, because both parties will be spirit. Similar and closely related to family, marriage also gives us a window of insight into God's love and plan for humanity. Because human marriages are patterned after this spiritual relationship, they can help us comprehend this present and future God-plan relationship. How that we have an understanding, now that we have an understanding of God's view of what marriage and family represent, we can more closely examine the instructions He gave for marriage. just listening to Teachable Moments with April Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode. We invite you to stay connected with us on the other social media platforms of ours, which is TikTok, Pinterest, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube. Also, we'd like to invite you to check out our official podcast landing page on podpage.com slash teachable moments with April to see all our content in one place and leave personal messages, feedback, and more.